Welcome to the Binance Podcast. This week, we're really excited to bring you a special episode. Jio Ni from the Binance Charity Foundation, as well as、uh, Dorji Sun, from, who is the CEO of Perlin. Really hope you enjoyed the talk. Hi, everyone. I'm Jio Ni from Binance Charity. And in this episode, I'm joined by Dorji Sun, CEO of Perlin, to discuss a new initiative called Global Ledger, which was just launched in early July. So, before we start the conversation, Dorji,、um, can you give us a self introduction? I know Perlin is having a token sale at Binance Launchpad recently. So, how did you get into the blockchain space? And tell us about your story. Thank you so much, Jill. And、uh, it's a real pleasure and an honor to be on the podcast. So, right now I'm sitting in Singapore, and、uh, it's hard to believe, but actually, my journey started off doing technology startups on campus. So,、um, I started、uh, a couple of software companies while I was studying, and a couple of them were purchased. We managed to get some exits. And then around 2007, I actually started in the environmental space. So, my story really started with carbon credits and you o k n what w I call government regulated institutions. So, we were really working with carbon credits, which were created essentially by legislation. And unfortunately, because Paris, Copenhagen, there was a whole bunch of、uh, accords that didn't quite work out. We never quite got the marketplace for carbon credits that we had hoped for. And I'd spent nearly 10 years in that world. So, really doing social impact. We were protecting rainforests. We were creating carbon credits.、Uh, in the end, we raised a facility of $400 million to protect rainforests. But the marketplace never evolved because the governments never created the legislation around climate change. And I was so disappointed by about 2014. 2014 was really when I started getting into Bitcoin. I was really looking at instruments that were not reliant on government policies. Again, this was just part of my disappointment, but I started looking at Bitcoin. I started looking at the decentralized economy. If you look at peak centralized multilateralism, which kind of occurred with、um, the power of the WTO and the UN and so forth, it kind of broke down when it now shifts towards Brexit and it now shifts towards Trump, some of the separatist type of sovereign driven policies. And so it was really interesting looking at the growth of cryptocurrency, the growth of decentralized blockchains and decentralized consensus mechanisms. So, just to come back to your question, Perlin is really focused on leaderless proof of stake.、Uh, what that means is there's a lot of、uh, movement towards proof of stake away from proof of work.、Uh, 25% of all blockchains are now proof of stake, representing you know, something in the order of $500 million of staking rewards. So, we're in that space. But a lot of the proof of stakes are delegated proof of stakes. So it's a very small committee of block producers or quite a centralized group of entities reaching most of the benefits. And so we're really looking at decentralized, leaderless, so anyone can stake. And then that's our consensus mechanism, Wavelet. And then on top of that, what we're building is、um, a whole bunch of apps. So mostly we're uh, doing uh, trade finance, we're doing environmental traceability. So I'll talk a bit more about that. Later. But just to kind of explain it and tie it back, really, we're passionate about social impact. We're really passionate about、um, looking at how blockchains and decentralized technologies can bring benefit. And that's why it's been such an amazing fit with Jill, with, with Binance Foundation, with Helen, who I worked with. I can tell a bit more of the history later, and, and Binance and the growth of this ecosystem. But、uh, yeah, so kind of got into the space 2014. I deep dived. So I was、um, an executive, I was ex COO of Santiment. We co founded a couple of Bitcoin hedge funds. My wife and I have、uh, angel invested and put into nearly maybe 30 ICOs. So, really been excited about the whole space and, and just experimented around. 
Yeah, cool. I think yeah, you mentioned a lot of issues like that is happening in the traditional world because of the centralized system. It provides a lot of possibility of manipulation. That I believe everyone knows about the famous like the Volkswagen emission scandal and many others. That when if we are trying to track that what the the actual emission or what the actual impact on the environment, we currently do not have a very good system to do that. Is that where you come up with the idea of the global ledger? Yeah. Was that related to your previous experience? No, exactly. I mean, when you think about governance, when you think about corporate social responsibility, these huge companies will basically produce once a year an annual CSR report, and that CSR report will have legals go through it. It'll have stock photos. It'll be sanitized.、Um, compare that to what people expect, which is real-time data. You know, I can get foreign policy updates from Trump's Twitter. Real time, and yet I have to wait for a whole year before I can see whether or not Zara has、uh, socially responsible sourcing for its cotton. It just doesn't make sense. So, so just coming back, like when you think about what are the use cases that blockchains really add value to, you know, obviously the financial applications like remittance. There's the immutability of it. So, our first project, if you want to check, if any of the listeners want to check out, followourfiber.com. We were able to put one of the largest rayon companies onto the blockchain, so we're tracing all of the fiber that goes into their viscose and their rayon on the blockchain. And so you can see literally from the seedling to the plantation to the extraction to the dissolving pulp to the mill to the all the way through to the bale of rayon,、um, and it's traced, timestamped, it's GPS stamped, so you can see that it, it's authentic. So there's all of these applications. And one that we think is really powerful is how do you allow for the public to be able to regulate corporations which are actually using public goods? And so the example that you gave is perfect, Jill. Like if you were to ask me about Volkswagen, and for the listeners that don't know and haven't heard about it, Volkswagen was convicted and found guilty of faking results on their clean diesel. The diesel would not certain levels of emissions. They gamed software on the testing for the centralized lab, and they were caught. And the question just is, why would we trust Volkswagen ever again? You know, if they've been caught cheating a centralized server, essentially. The answer is they should put these devices into a whole bunch of their cars, statistically robust number of cars. The IoT devices should be giving out real time, you know, what the emission levels are. And then those emission levels should be、um, effectively on a blockchain, so they cannot be changed or they're immutable. They can be private, but then they should be able to be searched and shown, and maybe use differential privacy or zero knowledge proofs that they are below the contractually required emissions levels. And this should be applicable for everything, whether it's deforestation, whether it's palm oil in the supply chain. I think the move for Most companies should be towards what you call full spectrum data reporting, as opposed to once a year, and that's where the blockchain comes in. Exactly. I think、uh, what you mentioned that、uh, using like blockchain and also like IoT or other technologies, or for the technology to work together and build、uh, like an open ledger to track the performance. That's exactly, I believe, what the Global Ledger Initiative, what we are trying to do. I'll give some first some backgrounds about the local Global Ledger Initiative, so our audience will know where it comes from. So I know that in July you were at Summer Davos and you were talking to Helen, the head of finance charity. 
and you were also in a discussion with a group of YGLs of, and you were discussing the blockchain for social impact applications. Of course, the World Economic Forum seems to be very supportive of this idea, right? And so you decided to launch the Global Ledger Initiative right there at the Summer Davos. Would you elaborate more about on this initiative? What are you trying to do? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, look, I mean, uh, exactly like you said. So again, for listeners out there, whether or not you subscribe to uh, Davos and the World Economic Forum. So if you Google WEF and Davos, basically where all the world leaders go in Switzerland in January, they have a young leaders program called the YGL or the Young Global Leaders. You know, if anyone's interested, I'm happy to talk more about it. But it is one of those rare organizations where you get access to some of the most important people in the world, like from Bill Gates to heads of country. And um, they select people under 40 to join this program. And so Helen Hyde, the CEO of uh, Binance Foundation, uh, and myself are both part of this program. What's really interesting is the motivations for the people in the program actually are altruistic. So it's not about trying to get richer. It's not about trying to make more, get more power. It's really about how do we, given our, our place of privilege, kind of do some good. And so at this point in time, because a lot of our colleagues in the Young Global Leader Program were from big companies, so companies like GE, Cisco, one of our co-founders, a guy called Zach, he's the co-founder of uh, DCVC, which is a big venture capitalist, a data collective out of Silicon Valley, and um, they manage a lot of money. And one of their earliest investments was Planet Labs. So he was like, yeah, we can connect you with Planet Labs. They have all of the data tracking deforestation and a lot of this surface remote sensing data. And so really what was just interesting was you go to these conferences and, you know, the sad thing a little bit about a lot of the cryptocurrency conferences and blockchain conferences and, and you know, my disappointment a little bit in terms of some of the network effects of token economy is the idea really was that if you have tokens, to quote JFK, think not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. It should really be if you're a token holder, you're trying to build the network. But sometimes, you know, in these experiences, like right now, as you mentioned, we're doing an IEO, a lot of the token holders are not really contributing or adding value to the network. They're really kind of trying to demand returns or demand uh, stuff. And so you kind of think about, okay, the beauty of this young global leader network is everyone's trying to help each other. So to come back, we sat down with a whole group of them. In the end, I think there was something like 12 or 13 of us, and we got to publish a full list and, and real commitments. And uh, it was just amazing. Everyone was either volunteering data, like data philanthropy, or case studies, or commitments, or projections, or ways that they could get involved. It ended up being published by the World Economic Forum as one of their initiatives. Um, we were on the World Economic Forum uh, TV channel. And right now, we're planning towards um, the Davos in winter. So this is the one in Switzerland. Not looking forward to it because it's freezing cold, but it's the 26th of January. Yeah, so we're looking at now doing a forum where we're going to be inviting companies to join. I just had a meeting actually today with Unilever. They're interested to have one of their cosmetics brands look at traceability on coconut oil that goes into the cosmetics and then how that, for example, helps smallholders. And it all comes back to this data spectrum where you can put this data onto a global ledger. And this is what Perlin is really powering. So we see ourselves as just a layer one that can start logging this data and assisting companies and assisting foundations 
find accountability. Cool. Yes. Um, we are also very excited about all the partnerships that's going to join the Global Ledger Initiative and also Binance Charity being one of them. We, actually, I remember that um, it was the, the first day of Summer Davos because um, Helen actually called me. It was late in the evening and she said, like, Jill, you would like this idea. And I heard about Global Ledger and it was really get excited because <laughs> um, I totally agree with you when you talk about like the token economy. I think it's time because the blockchain industry and crypto, the industry is actually at a very early stage. And we think that now for the technology is actually looking for applications. And we also for Binance Charity, we view ourselves as an industry shaper. We really hope that through our experiment or through our testing out the new initiatives or supporting the good initiatives, we really want to build up a kind of a role model and encourage the whole blockchain and crypto industry to look for more social impact applications. And we do believe that for the long term kind of prosperity of the whole industry, you really need to go back and not only focus on the the money part, right? It not mm. not just like making money for yourself, but actually looking for how we can build this industry together. And we build this industry for the bigger group of the society. Exactly. And so we are very excited, especially like the environmental protection. This is also an area that we would like to focus on. And we do believe that with Perlane and your technology, we are able to see more social impacts that could be coming through this initiative, right? Absolutely. And, and on that point, I think what the foundation and what Binance is doing is you're going to see, I think, a lot of the smaller projects or a lot of the projects that don't have a fundamental value add, they're going to disappear. You know, on the one hand, people might interpret that as, oh, you know, this market, it isn't real, you know, this is all vaporware. But the fact is, in any industry, whether it's Google Glass or the Apple Newton, there are always precursors. But the fact is, with more regulation, with more cost of operation, for banks to do AML, KYC and to administer centralized bank accounts, everything is getting more expensive because of compliance requirements. And so that's where the opportunity for decentralized systems really applies. And I think it really just comes down to finding true applications of value add. And just to give you another example, so looking at the work that I did in forestry and uh, conservation in Indonesia and Africa and South America, one of the biggest issues is You've got a centralized government. And actually, I'd love to hear about your experiences in Africa, Jill, because, you know, right now, for listeners out there, Jill's sitting in Uganda. You know, she's in a place where she's had to request them to stop doing construction just for this podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, like my experience, what the biggest driver for deforestation was because there was no clear land ownership and because the central government would run the land, the permitting and all of the, um, the mapping. If there was a new government that came in, suddenly their cousins and nephews and friends and family suddenly got allocated land and the only way that they could convince people of ownership was to then log it and then do stuff with it, plant whatever it might be, palm oil or whatever. You know, if you had a decentralized system which mapped out ownership on a immutable ledger that needed consensus in order for it to be changed, you wouldn't be able to have such uh, opaque changes of ownership. It'd have to be transparent and, and governed. So I actually think like if you look at Singapore versus, say, Indonesia or Africa or other poorer countries, it's all about governance. So coming back, I'd love to, my question to you, Jill, would be tell us a bit more about your experience, you know, in Africa and how the foundation is seeing to leverage some of these decentralized technologies and then how we can help. 
Yes. So currently, yeah, I'm currently in Kampala, Uganda, and we have a few、uh, charity projects that running here. The issue actually we want to tackle is like the intransparency within the charity process, because usually when the donor donates a money to a nonprofit organization, you will lose track of where your money actually goes, and there are always like corruption within this whole process. That is extremely severe in Africa as well, and so we really want to come in. And actually, we just used the, the initial characteristics of cryptocurrency that is trackable, it's non-changeable, and then it's everything is transparent for the public to track. So that our system, we're trying to let the donors be able to track their donations, going through the system and see where the money actually goes. And apart from that, we really focus on the last mile solutions because we believe that、uh, we really want to have the end beneficiaries also involved in this system. So we are not only working with the nonprofits. We do not just collect donations in crypto and send it to a nonprofit to do that, but we actually involve a lot of the underground implementations. So we open up the wallet for the end beneficiaries to be able for them to receive donations directly from the donors. So nothing is lost in the process. It will not be taken by their parents. It will not be taken by the schools, or it will not be taken by the officials. But everything will go to the end beneficiaries directly.、Wow. So that's what we are trying to tackle in Uganda. Do you need help? Who's building your、uh, your system for tracking of、uh, donations? So currently, Binance supports all the technical development of the platform.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we get a lot of support from Binance. If they're too slow, you know, there's another team. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. So I think for our approach is we try to build up the success case. We also refine ourselves, improve ourselves constantly while we are doing the process. We believe that you have to build up, you have to implement, you have to test out your ideas, and then it's useless just talking about the big visions of、uh, how you are going to do that. But what's more important is you actually be there, working out with the local people, trying to give them the solution that they want. That's exactly what we are doing. Of course, I think there's still many improvement that we need for our current system. So probably that、uh, we would love to have more support from <laughs> from you and from other <laughs> tech teams to、yeah. help us improve the system. But definitely, we are on the way to achieve the goal. Well, I mean, I'll add in three points. So first of all, actually,、um, how we all started on the Pearl Inside in 18 months after Mainnet, so nearly two years. And what we've been building on our roadmap is、um, your mobile phones and your laptops have compute power that can, when you're sleeping, when you plug your phone in and leave it on online and running, can actually be a staking node, and you can actually、uh, rent out your compute chip and earn income. It's kind of like AWS. So AWS is really just thousands of networked computers together, and you're using the combined compute power. So it's、so、actually Cloudify is the name of decentralized application. This was one of the main drivers, and we saw it like a universal basic income. And so, the partnership with Binance Foundation and and why it's very exciting is, if you think about the developing country, they don't have access to investable asset classes for them to grow their wealth. You know, they don't have access to stocks and equity. They don't have access to bonds and more sophisticated instruments. But this is something where they can actually, using the mobile phone, earn some money. And then, when you think about it, if you're a company that uses AI. You can either you rent AWS compute power, giving money to the richest man in the world, or you can effectively、mm. pay the same price and give that compute revenue to a village in Kampala 
who is effectively creating a mm -hmm. cluster using their mobile phone and their devices. So where we see a perfect fit is, you know, if you want to ask me what's the greatest on-ramp mm -hmm. for people into both cryptocurrency and decentralized technologies, it's income generation, you know, because if we, and this is where we ran the numbers, actually our projections on compute are still on track. Blew us away was um, the numbers of mobile broadband users mm -hmm. in India has doubled last year. So they now have 500 million broadband users in India. And so where the per capita GDP is just $2,000, imagine they could earn 100 or $200, like 10% of their annual income, just by renting out their, mm. their laptop or their mobile phone and renting out the compute. And so that's where we see this almost UBI. So people could earn pearls by staking and by running and renting out their compute. They would have a Binance account uh, and a wallet. They could then trade into different types of asset classes. They may want to hold it in Bitcoin or ETH and they can trade and use that money. Mm. So, so point one really was I totally see how this ecosystem, when linked to income generation opportunities, can really help, you know, literally billions of people at the base of the pyramid kind of um, start accruing value. Yeah, yeah, this is interesting because definitely we also see that during the previous like technology innovations, usually the bottom billion are excluded from that. So it's always the privileged uh, who get most of the benefit from the technology innovations. Exactly. But we do see that now we are at the edge of the fourth industrial revolution and blockchain is a very important technology for that. We need to think about what we can do for the bottom billion, how we can involve them in this innovation in the technology technology and how we can actually benefit a bigger uh, group of population, those that who are at the top of the pyramid. So I think it's very exciting. I think we definitely want to explore more about how we can make the technology and make blockchain cryptocurrency more accessible to exactly. those population. So the two other points that I'd actually throw out, and, and if you have any of these programs that you potentially are funding or working with, we should totally talk. So the meeting with Unilever and some of these big brands, they're looking for smallholder stakeholders. So what we do with Clarify, which is another DAP, I know that our branding department came up with Clarify, Certify, and Cloudify. So not the best uh, names, but, but Clarify, mm -hmm. what it does is it shows that the smallholders are the ones, the ones growing, say, for example, coffee, that they then ship it to the distributor the roaster, there's a supply chain that's linked back to the smallholder. Mm. And that allows for them to get a greater proportion of the profit because actually this is the story which a lot of the purchasers in the developed world want. So they're prepared to pay a premium for that. So by having blockchain supply chain traceability and transparency is another way that developing economies and developing communities can also hold on to some of the value the second point that I, the last point I was going to make mm. was, you know, the whole work that we're doing around trade, all of the documentation around trade, being on the blockchain. So right now it is actually very hard. If you wanted to export a container of, of coffee, it's very hard to do that because it literally takes 600 pages of documentation. Mm. You know, you need to do a whole bunch of different documentation around the bill of lading, the letter of credit, the certificate of origin, these FITO certificates, all of this stuff. So actually the stat when I did a speech in, in Brazil was that 99% of the Brazilian economy is small to medium-sized businesses, but only 1% of the exports, you know, small to medium-sized businesses. So the mm -hmm. whole point of putting it all on blockchain and making an app, what we hope to see is that small villages or smallholders can export, say, coffee at a smaller amount, but seamlessly and easily. 
And this is where, you know, whether it's the Binance dollar or the Libra coin or you can do settlement through mm -hmm. Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp, you know, that's when actually you're going to have, I think, absolute explosion of uh, exports and imports. And, you know, one of the best ways for these um, smaller communities and emerging economies to earn income is by exporting. So these are the all of the initiatives we're working on within Perlin under the Pearl token. Uh, so I actually have to go to Geneva to do a speech for the World Trade Organization. Cool. So all of these guys are trying to foster trade facilitation and reduction of uh, friction, especially for micro SMEs and SMEs. So mm -hmm. I see all of this tying in with your work with the foundation. So if you have any programs or any groups of people Yeah, I think this is a very interesting point because actually we are dealing with many small vendors for our own charity projects because they're providing our kids with goods they need and they're receiving cryptocurrency because we do see that the small amount of transactions, the transaction fee is actually very high in the normal current system. Well, crypto can definitely decrease the transaction costs in, for those small holders, small merchants. Definitely. I think, yeah, I would say that we are very open to um, new ideas and mm. we really hope that for our cool. the initiative, we really hope that we are able to attract more new ideas and solutions to help us build this platform better. And uh, so we are able to get more like concrete plans going forward. Yeah, look, my closing remark would just be, I think, I think 2020 is uh, a really important year in human development. A lot of the promises made by governments in the 1992 Earth Summit in Rio uh, were meant to be solved by 2020. They haven't been. A lot of the, the stuff around sustainable development goals, when you look at governance and democracy and you look at the inequality, I just think 2020 is going to be a tipping point for decentralized technologies and real value-adding altcoins and tokens like Pearl and networks like Perlin, um, obviously as well, Binance. So my last closing comment would just be anyone who listens to this that's interested in participating, please reach out. We're just perlin.net. We've got a telegram. You can email us, contact at perlin.net. Um, we're really open to collaboration, uh, an organization looking for solutions. We've got a whole bunch of experiments that we're running. But yeah, coming back as well, we'll keep you posted as well. Hopefully, we'll be doing this big launch in January in Davos with, with yourselves. And it's really exciting to work with you guys on multiple levels. Yeah. So thank you so much for the time and opportunity. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Dorji. First, of course, thank you for joining this episode and share your thoughts on the where we are going to do with the Global Ledger Initiative. And uh, of course, I'm uh, also on the same line with you. Really welcome new projects or ideas that you think can contribute to our this initiative and happy to work with everyone with good ideas. And so we can push this initiative forward. We are able to share more next time when we meet about what's the exact concrete plan and what's the exact outcome we have made through the initiative.